Larry leads our prayer ministry team here at MOPC. And on the second Monday night of every month, they meet downstairs in our prayer room, 7 p.m., and they always like to have people come that they can pray for. Maybe you have some reason you'd like to come for prayer. It's safe. It's loving. Um, it's just the time to be blessed. And uh, let's see. Is that tomorrow night? Is that the second Monday of the month, tomorrow night? Think about coming. We're very thankful for those who lead in prayer at this church. Would you take your Bibles and open with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. I want to read verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. God bless to our understanding the reading from his holy word this morning. Well, you got up this morning and you came to worship. And given that you got an extra hour of sleep last night, I expect you to be a little sharper than you usually are. Why did you come? What brought you here this morning? And what, what did you hope to find? What did you hope to experience? What did you hope to happen when you came? How many times have you done this? Now, let's say you've been coming to a church to worship uh, for 30 years of your life. For some of you, a lot less. For some of you, a lot more. Well, I'm just going to take that figure. Let's say for 30 years you've been coming to church. And let's say uh, you come to worship services 40 Sundays out of the year. That's not including maybe some special services. You go 40 Sundays a year. That means that you have gone to 1,200 worship services in your life. Uh, you do the math for yourself, wherever you fall in that. A lot less, a lot more. But chances are you've done it quite a bit. Week after week. We come to a church, we come to this church doing this thing called worship. We come because we, we see some kind of value in it. We come because there's some importance to it. But what is the value? What is the importance? Why do we do what we do? I preached this morning with the conviction that communal worship is the most important thing we do in this church. 
It is the one time we're all gathered together. It is the one time we all sing together. It's the one time we all pray together. It's the one time we hear a common message together. I think worship kind of pumps, it's like a heart that pumps blood to every other part of this church. And that if we were to stop doing this, if we were to stop on Sunday mornings having meeting for worship like this, I think all the other parts of our church would eventually die, eventually. This time uniquely strengthens our faith. It forms our identity at Christians, as Christians. It does something in our church like no other. Worship is usually the first thing that guests experience. It was probably the first thing you experienced when you first came to this church, whenever that was. And it says a lot about who we are, and it says a lot about who God is to us. We at MOPC, at this church, we have three unique expressions of worship at this church. Our 8.30 service in the Sunday mornings, which is a traditional service. This service at 11 o'clock, tonight at the Mount, which is a very different expression of how we worship God. I think that's a unique thing about our church. I'm very proud of it, too. When I first came as pastor here some years ago, the first series of sermons I preached on was on worship. The next two weeks, I'm preaching on worship again because I think it's good to be refreshed in our understanding of why we do what we do and to get back to the foundations and to look at those foundations once in a while and, and, and remember what this is about because we do this all the time. Robert Louis Stevenson, the writer, wrote in his diary once, Today I have been to church and I am not depressed. What was going on in his church? I mean, what what were the messages the pastor was preaching there? What was the praise band like in his church, I wonder? I've been to church today and I'm not depressed. Praise God. How sad that people can go to a church and be depressed. Now, I think it's unrealistic to think that every time we come to a worship service, we're going to leave walking on the clouds. Um, But I hope we would always find some meaning, some kind of inspiration for being here. Most of all, we should have an encounter with God in some way and certainly not leave feeling depressed. Unfortunately, one of the places we go wrong in worship is when we focus on the experience more than we focus on God. When we focus on the experience more than we focus on God. We want to feel something. Now, there's nothing wrong in feeling something. We are to worship God with all our heart. And in the Bible, the heart is the place of the emotions. We respond to God emotionally too. But if our focus is just on the emotions, then we are worshiping maybe the experience and not really worshiping God. I suppose one of the questions that someone could ask if they want to know if it's worth it or was this to measure a worship service, you could ask, well... Not, did I like the music, or did I like the order of things, did I like the message, did I like all that happened, but how about this, did God like what happened this morning? Did God like what happened this morning? Worship is for us, we should gain strength from it, perspective, inspiration from it, but more importantly, primarily, worship is for God, and it's about God. Worship is the most important thing we do. It is central to keeping our relationship to the Lord. And human beings were created to worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't worship Him, then we're worshiping something else. It might be our personal comfort. It might be our vocation. It might be uh, 
ourselves. It might be our family we're worshiping, but we're not worshiping Him. G.K. Chesterton said, when we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. It means we worship anything. When we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. We worship anything. You see, worship grounds us. It grounds our lives. And from the days of Moses, thousands of years ago, from that time ever since, the people of God have gathered week by week on the Lord's day to worship Him. Jesus' custom was to go to the house of the Lord, to the synagogue, every Sabbath. The early church gathered weekly, sometimes daily, to worship God. With predictable regularity. Predictable regularity. Christians of every tribe, of every color, of every language have gathered to worship on the Lord's Day. Sometimes in downtown tall steeple churches. Sometimes in small country churches. Sometimes in theaters or gymnasiums. Sometimes in huts or in homes. Sometimes under trees. Sometimes in bamboo buildings with dirt floors. But they always, we always do it. Psalm 96 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Now, I'm not even sure I know what that means or what that looks like, but man, it sounds magnificent. The splendor of His holiness. And it suggests to me that God seeks, asks, should be worshipped in a way that honors Him. That He is worthy to be approached in a certain way. That He is to be spoken of and spoken to in a certain way. That He is to be spotlighted and given glory in a certain way. In the splendor of His holiness. It suggests to me that I need to understand and get in touch with this God who is great, who is worthy, who reigns, who is to be feared. I am to get in touch with the splendor, the majesty, the strength, and the glory that is His. What are we doing when we come here and worship? I want to use the words from Hebrews 10 that we read to help us understand. And first of all, when we worship, we draw near to God. It says, let us draw near to God. When we come to church with other Christians, we draw near to God. We get close to encounter Him. Now, don't take drawing near to God for granted. Because it was not always the case that people could do this like this. And it says, we draw near to God because we have confidence to enter the holy place. Now, the holy place, the most holy place, was a small very small room in the middle of the temple that was in Jerusalem. And only the high priest could go in the most holy place. And he could only go once a year. And he did that on the Day of Atonement to pray for the forgiveness of the sins of all of Israel, of all the people. It was the most holy place where the very direct presence of the Lord, the strong presence of God, lived in that room. And a large and thick curtain divided that most holy place from the rest of the temple where other worshipers, where other priests could go. But no one else could go in there. 
And the high priest, when he went in through that curtain, when he would pass through there, he would bring the blood of animals with him as a sacrifice. But God doesn't live in small, off-limits rooms anymore. In Jesus, we have a great high priest that when he died, on that cross, that curtain in the temple was torn in two, opening the way for all people to enter God's presence. Through Christ's body and blood, the cross, we are allowed to draw near to God ourselves. That's why the cross, that's why the cross is such an essential symbol in our faith and also in our worship. It tells us that we can be in God's presence. We can be close to Him. The door has been opened. The way has been made clear for us to approach, to be with, to know, to talk to God. And we draw near to God in the full assurance and conviction of our faith because we are presentable to God. Now, the high priest had to sprinkle blood on the altar of the most holy place. But it says in Hebrews, we are sprinkled with the blood of Christ and we are made clean. We don't have to go through any spiritual or religious gyrations to draw near Him. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you've had a bad month. Maybe you've had a bad life. Don't ever say, God doesn't want me to come near to Him. Grasp on to the cross of Christ and what He has done for you because He has made a way for you, no matter who you are, to come to God. When we worship, We draw near. When we worship, we are real. Now, real is kind of a trendy word in church worship these days. So you've got to be careful with that one. It can kind of be a code word for, you know, unless I come with a lot of pain and problems and a lot of things to whine about in my life today, I'm not being real. But what if life's good? What if uh, I want to give thanks to God? Can I still be real? Or, real means, I want to be able to dress casual, put my feet up, and just have a cup of coffee with God. You know, sometimes people act with more reverence and respect at weddings than when they come to a worship service. There's a lot of abuse of the idea of being real. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says we approach God with a sincere heart. That word sincere means real. It means to be authentic. It means to be loyal. We don't have to feel particularly holy. We don't have to feel like we have it all together. We can come as we are. We also don't have to feel like we have a lot of problems. We can come glad or sad. We can come in grief. We can come in joy. We can come up. We can come down. But we always bring who we are to the God who accepts us, to the God who loves us, to the God who can change us, to the God who will give us what we need to bear whatever we've got to carry in our lives. We don't need to hide from God. We don't need to hide from others. When we worship, we are real. When we worship, we are strengthened in our faith. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Boy, the stresses and the strains and the burdens of life can wear us down, can just drain us of our hope, and we can come and we can say, I feel so low. I just feel like every drop of juice of 
life in me is just being drained with what I'm going through right now in my life. That phrase, to hold unswervingly, it means to keep a tight grip on our faith. And weekly worship tightens the grip of our faith, reminding us who we are, reminding us what we're about, reminding us who we belong to. We're reminded of the promises of God in which we place our hope. Down further, you read, and it says, let's encourage one another. Part of the strength, part of the tightening of our grip is when we do come with other people and they encourage us. It might be sharing with somebody, saying, let me tell you what's going on with me. It might be praying with someone or receiving some prayer. It might just be in the songs we sing or the message we hear or the prayers that we offer. They just revive us for another week of living with God. We might feel challenged. We might feel humbled. We might be convicted. But there should always be some sense of joy, some sense of hope, some sense of encouragement. I never want to leave like Robert Louis Stevenson and be depressed. It's a time to get filled up. It is. We're strengthened in our faith. When we worship, we do so with others. It says, do not give up meeting together as some others do. Not gathering with others is not worship. We may be in the mountains. We may be at home thinking about God. That's not the worship that the Bible speaks of. Worship is done with others. It is not primarily a private enterprise. To give up meeting with others is not the way of our faith. You know, an ember that is separated from the fire will eventually become a coal that goes out. The list is long for excuses and reasons for doing something else on Sundays. But it isn't the way of Jesus. Jesus himself made it his practice to worship, gather with others. And he was the son of God. I suppose if anybody could have worshipped on his own, he could have, huh? You know one of the ways we really state that this is true for us, that it's all about being together and, and other people, is when we sing. It's when we sing because we're all singing together. You know, we don't come and you sing your song and I'm singing a different song and then someone over there singing their own song. Imagine how that would sound if we were all singing 30 different songs. We all sing the same words. We all stand. We, 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 we sing the same melody. Some of us sing the same melody. Some of you, I know. But we all sing with one voice to say, you know what? We are one people. It's not just about individuals. It's a collection of people. And it's in the meeting together, it says, that we spur one another on to love where we can get encouragement for our Christian lives. When we worship, we are expectant. We do all of this in the light of Christ's return, it says, as you see the day approaching. Now, this is one of the biblical reasons for gathering and worshiping. Quite frankly, it was new to me this week as I read this passage and studied it. If you knew that the Lord was coming back tomorrow, Monday, November 8th, would you be in church today? If God somehow could say to the world, tomorrow is the day, what would our churches look like? Do you think? We'd run out of bulletins. I know we would. I confess, I don't come on Sundays thinking a lot about the Christ's return. Someday the Lord, though, is coming back and we want to be ready for his appearing. 
We worship expectantly with the expectation that someday that is going to happen. We worship with it in view. It is a distant view, maybe. We don't know, but it is in view. You know, when we do communion, Paul said, when you break the bread and and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Could be tomorrow. But we worship expectantly because we want to be ready for him. But the biggest reason we worship is not to get some kind of spiritual high. The biggest reason we worship is not to see people. It's not to get information. The biggest reason we worship is because God has done something in Jesus Christ. God came to this earth and He was seen and He was heard and He was touched. And He died and He came back to life and He made us His people. And we have not gotten over that yet. And so when Christians gather for worship, we're just responding to what God has already done. Though you and I got up this morning, and though you and I made a conscious decision to be here, and even though some of us leaders uh, planned and, and thought about what we were going to do today, we are not the initiators of our worship or of this time. God has initiated this time. We're merely responding. Every worship service is just a response to what God has done in the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ and in His giving us the Holy Spirit. There's a book called Chasing Francis about a pastor of a mega evangelical church that just becomes burned out of the pace and trying to keep up with the growth and trying to be relevant and just trying to keep his congregation growing. And finally, he just gives up and he takes a leave of absence and he goes to Italy. And while he's there, he hooks up through a friend with some Franciscan monks. While he's there, he studies, he discovers the writings and the life of St. Francis and he finds a way of living the Christian life that doesn't have anything to do with success or bigger is better or all the hype. But he begins to worship uh, in, in the Franciscan tradition and he goes to church with them and there's this conversation between him and one of the Franciscans' monk where the Franciscan asks him, now what time did church start on Sunday morning? And he says, I found the question kind of odd since we'd gone together. I shrugged, around 8 o'clock? Wrong, the monk said. Church started the moment you got in your car. The liturgy began the moment you started separating yourself from this world so that you could join the rest of the body of Christ. Think about that. That worship starts the moment you get in your car and you start separating yourself from this world and you start going to gather with the rest of the body of Christ. It says something about the frame of mind that you and I come with on Sundays. If I just rush in here any old way I want to, am I cheating my encounter with God? Young families accepted. Because sometimes I know for you, just getting out the door and getting the kids into the car and even seeing this church building, you want to sing the Hallelujah Chorus as a family. So, But, but if that's not you... Coming expectant, prepared, taking the time to focus and be quiet 
or listen to the music or engage. To be receptive. If worship is primarily our response to God, then we need nor deserve any credit for coming. The impulse to pursue God originates with God. God is always previous. God is always previous. And He is already here to meet you and me whenever we come. And He waits for us to draw near to Him. He waits for us to draw near to Him. What we are doing started long ago. Now, how people draw near Sunday by Sunday depends on church by church, nation by nation, people by people. There are all kinds of labels and styles for worship today. There's traditional and high church and casual and charismatic and post-modern and emergent and free. Different people worship God in different ways. And there's no place in the Bible where God says, you know what? Here's your specific instructions or commands for how a worship service should look like. Certain things have always been an essential part of worship of Christians. Always singing, praying, the reading and the preaching of the word, the giving of offering, um, communion, baptism, things like this. But God doesn't seem to care how those things are done as much as the reasons that they are done and the spirit with which they are done. How we do those things is variable, but why we do them and that we do them is not variable. Why do you come? And what do you want to find when you get here? As James said, and I think he said it very well in his letter, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Let's pray. Lord, would you forgive us when our worship is cold or it's a mere formality and we don't give any thought to what we do. Help us to draw near, to draw near with believing, praising, loving hearts. Lord, have mercy on those who neglect the weekly gathering together with others. You're with us 24-7, God, and you're always here to welcome us, to meet us, to bless us. Help us to never pass you up. Thank you that you've opened the way for us to come to you through Jesus Christ. Renew in us the privilege that it is. Renew the spirit of worship in this place. Bless those who preach the word. Bless those who sing and read and pray. Bless those who play music. Bless this room and all that happens in it. And may our worship always be according, always be according to the splendor of your holiness. In the name of the one eternal glorious God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.